Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Melvin, and I wrote yesterday's episode for tomorrow today. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Danny Boyle's Yesterday. With such a high concept idea as this, there's almost no reason for me to do my usual spiel before describing the film. I mean, it's so simple. The premise is a tried and true musician who can't get a break gets into an accident, wakes up and learns he's the only person on the earth who knows who the Beatles are. It's interesting. There are so many different ways you can go with that. I don't know about you, but the second I heard about it, despite how unrealistic it would be, I couldn't help but look forward to it with anticipation. And even though it can sometimes be a detractor, I was eager to see a new actor stretch his talents with a seasoned director such as Danny Boyle. If you caught it in the trailer for yesterday, it said, Introducing Himesh Patel, who plays the main character, Jack Malik. Using the term introducing often means it's the actor's first billing in a motion picture, which got me interested, as the concept of yesterday, along with the cost of having so many Beatles songs, even if they are only covers, meant there was a lot of confidence in this newcomer. But before we get any further, let's dig into this film for real. Yesterday is a film about Jack Malik, a young musician who left teaching to pursue his career in songwriting, but it's not going so well, and his close friend and manager Ellie, played by Lily James, is heartbroken to hear that he's giving up. But during a late evening bike ride home, a miracle happens, and that miracle is the face of a bus nailing Jack and sending him flying across concrete. Soon he wakes up in a hospital bed and amidst light references and outright singing Beatles songs, Jack learns he's the only person on earth who seems to know who the Beatles are. Seeing an opportunity, he begins the struggle of remembering every Beatles song, but he can't help but see the opportunity to pioneer his own career, even if they're songs he knows he didn't write. Yesterday is rated PG-13 for suggestive content and language. As far as that goes, there's some inappropriate comments made regarding Jack's relationship with Ellie, as well as discussions throughout that pursue that romantic tension. There's also some light undressing, no nudity. Language-wise, the Lord's name is taken in vain a few times, and there's like one use of the F-word because, you know, you get one in PG-13, so why not? Yesterday is an interesting film. It's interesting in the sense that it's very simple. And that's great, but it comes off as a film influenced by the very simple yet complex layers of Beatles music. There's an entire catalog of songs to look at, and even their early music speaks of complexity when you look at their cultural impact, even if the songs themselves are quite simple and, dare I say, bare bones in comparison to later works. And while it's not bad that Yesterday sticks to a simple, small, contained story, it's a shame that it doesn't also have much of an outer sense for itself. In other words, that cultural impact. Although I'm not expecting it to enter the world with such an influence that we all go, yesterday's the best movie of the year, it spoke so much to me. No, I'm not expecting that. Pursuing that sort of writing is very difficult, and honestly, you can't start a writing project with that intention. People are complex, they're multi-layered, they're changing creatures. You never know how your story will affect and impact those who watch, those who listen, those who look. But when looking at the simple story presented in Yesterday, one can't help but hope it imitates early Beatles music to the next degree and attempts to do more than its face value. 
Of course, even the Beatles didn't expect to have such a cultural influence, so maybe it's wrong of me to expect something like that from yesterday. But I'm not going to continue this thread any further. There really isn't anything more to say about that. I think it's become clear that the film is simple, and there's that word again, and it never goes beyond that, at least not overtly. There's a subtle emphasis on the importance we put on music, the ownership of art we hold dearly, speaking into life things that otherwise are lifeless. A painting has no soul, no resolve, no preference. It's a painting. A movie has no autonomy, no intrinsic creativity, no sense of self. It's a movie. A song has no love, no passions, no responses. It's a song. It's the person or persons creating that work that carries all those characteristics, and artwork is a matter of translating all those feelings into a single project. And like a relationship, when we engage with someone's creation, we may not be doing it intentionally, but we're explicitly engaging with the creator or creators of that work. Almost like a one-way conversation. We've lent an ear to their voice and are now in the process of translating what they're saying, seeking to put meaning into the things they made. Now, how we translate something becomes evidence of who we are, and who we are is inherently different than anyone else. So, how we translate that art becomes an aspect that helps to define who we are as individuals. It's why we become defensive about the things we love, because how we take and understand something is expressly related to who we are as individuals. There are a few scenes early on in Yesterday where Jack is getting very angry that none of his friends know who the Beatles are. First, he thinks they're playing a really elaborate prank on him, kicking him while he's down after recovering from an accident and losing some of his teeth. Then we see him get angry at his parents for not taking him seriously when he's trying to perform Let It Be for them, because they're technically the first people to ever hear what he considers a masterpiece. I've had that feeling before, a festering anger at someone who won't take interest in something I find wonderful. I remember being on the bus after some event in high school and trying to show my friend a cool song I had come to enjoy. He was a musician himself, and I always wanted to talk music with him. But he never seemed interested, so sitting next to one another I offered him an earbud and I played the song for him. I knew he was reluctant at first and nearly 30 seconds into the song he was talking to someone else on the bus. Then when the earbud accidentally fell from his ear I noticed he never turned around to pick it up and put it back in. That's a small moment, but something about it really hurt me at the time, and I felt lonely despite sitting in a crowded bus with a bunch of people who, all things considered, were friends of mine. Something about that song was a part of me, and for someone to not take interest felt like they weren't taking interest in me. And when you look at the Beatles' entire discography, you know there's a part of someone in every one of those songs, even if John, Paul, George, and Ringo never meant to capture so many people's attention. And I like that idea, as artistic ownership is a big part of this movie, since the biggest question one might be asking is whether or not Jack is plagiarizing, even if he's now in some sort of alternate dimension where he's the only one who remembers the Beatles. I found that choice to be clever, but that discussion of artistic ownership isn't all that engaged in the film, even if Jack soon signs with a record label that then treats him as property. You know, they own him. It's a lot of surface level, and that's totally and completely fine. The film doesn't have to go into the minutiae of this philosophical conundrum, and I'm not saying it would have been better off if it did, as it could have been a difficult idea to bounce around, but looking at the Beatles' discography, later in their career, they engaged artistic expression on some risky levels. To see the film grow like the Beatles did would have been really interesting, but it seemed to choose a light romantic comedy over anything else. And if I may be so bold, I'd like to compare Yesterday to a far inferior film from this year, Velvet Buzzsaw. 
Written and directed by Dan Gilroy, Velvet Buzzsaw is about an artist who inexplicably dies in his apartment where a female art distributor lives. She stumbles into his apartment and finds hundreds of paintings lying about. Amazed by them, she steals them and begins distributing them for high profit, unaware that they're possessed by some sort of evil spirit. It's honestly a terrible film. But there's a subplot featuring John Malkovich as a character who is struggling to paint, create, or produce anything of monetary value. His spark is, in a sense, gone, and while the rest of the film is pointless junk, this heavy, heavy subplot of John Malkovich trying to create art climaxes as the credits roll. This isn't spoilers by any means. Not that spoilers would matter considering that Velvet Buzzsaw is terrible. But we're in an overhead shot watching as he digs a stick into patterns on the beach while the waves actively wash away what he's making. Yet he continues to paint in the sand, making swirls and angles of all kinds. And there's something beautiful to me about creating something that, for the briefest of moments, will be enjoyed privately. As if creating or the ability to create is satisfactory enough to create at all. I really love that scene, and while I found Velvet Buzzsaw lackluster on all fronts, except performances in which most of the star-studded cast puts their A-game into a stupid movie, I keep thinking back to John Malkovich dancing across sand, leaving a momentary impression. Now compare that to Jack Malik, who is unsatisfied with simply creating and is seeking out stardom. Well, not really, since the film doesn't dig into that. Or maybe Jack Malik wants to make money, or at least enough money, to take care of himself. Well, not really true either. The film doesn't really get into that at all. Or how he wants to create music to impress those around him. Well, no, not that either, because the film doesn't touch on that at all. So what does Jack want anyway? He wants something, so let's just go with that. Jack wants something from his music and isn't getting it. So seeing the opportunity to take someone else's music, he does. And since he knows nobody will know he's done it, since it's a parallel universe, why not? Something feels dirty about that whole thing. Not the whole plagiarizing across universes thing. I mean, in a sense, I find that dirty. And not so much the pursuit of satisfaction, per se, because we all want that. We all want to be satisfied in the deepest longings in our heart. And we can only find that in the love we receive from Jesus Christ, the kind of love that convinces us that seeking sin for satisfaction is actually a lie. And the only true satisfaction is in a relationship with God. I think what I find dirty is the lack of satisfaction in simply making something. It's like my own heart is telling me it should simply be enough to have made something at all. Like, to just do something. To take advantage of producing rather than always consuming is a wonderful thing, and it exhibits one of our many image-bearing qualities that God has endowed us with in creation. So why not cherish it? Why not pursue it? I know the film puts forth some roadblocks, like how Jack isn't really making any money with what he's doing. There isn't a growing crowd or posse that follows him to each concert, so I understand the struggle, but it still stands that there's something wonderful in simply making something. Honestly, that's something I should adhere to myself. But I digress. I feel like I'm running at the mouth, so I'll cut myself off there. Let's get into some nitpicks of mine that, although are nothing but nitpicks, still detracted from my experience. The first bits of the film seem a little confused, and I thought to myself that things felt rushed, condensed during post-production to meet the allotted length producers were asking for, and I was right. Director Danny Boyle and writer Richard Curtis shared that the beginning had an 18-minute cut, which was condensed to 15 minutes, which was further condensed to 7 minutes. 
Basically, everything leading to the car accident was trimmed to expedite the story, and while that's a good thing to do since cutting out needless stuff helps the film most of the time, the beginning felt disorienting and in some ways a little confused. There's also Kate McKinnon's character who I found frustrating. She felt like a caricature rather than a character, which felt weird considering everyone else felt like real people. I didn't see why she was written with such an otherworldly attitude, and you get a bit of that in the trailer as she plays the producer who goes, You write all the songs, make a lot of money, and we take most of it, as she then shares a cartoonish, conniving grin. It was weird to watch, and in some respects just embarrassing. Even my wife was like, why was she written that way? Is this supposed to be funny? Then there's Ed Sheeran, who has far too many songs in this film. A lot of that has to do with preference, as I really don't care for his music, but his acting here isn't very good either. Part of that could simply be his personality, so he's basically being himself, but that doesn't change the fact that he looks like he's uncomfortable the whole time, like he isn't sure what to do when the camera is rolling. Even Danny Boyle can't seem to pull anything out of this guy. For instance, there's a moment where he challenges Jack Malik to a songwriting battle, and it's after a concert they just had. He's had a few beers, no doubt, but he doesn't seem to have much character or presence. And you can see this in the trailer too. He isn't boisterous as he stands up to declare a songwriting battle. He isn't tipsy. He isn't all that intimidating. There really isn't anything going on as far as his performance is concerned, and one could imagine he was reading the script held off screen. In comparison, Ed Sheeran poorly plays a character that at the very least fits into this world, while Kate McKinnon acts well for a character that doesn't fit in at all. But all of that said, Yesterday is an okay movie. And even if it lacks depth, it's still an enjoyable film, albeit maybe a little too long. And Himish Patel has a good performance and, Lord willing, a good career ahead of him. Also, he's quite the singer, and all the songs are recorded live on set with no dubbing, so that's something to get excited about. And with that, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Yesterday, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy its clever use of Beatles music to help propel the story, or did you find it a bit of a film that's lacking in some areas? Let me know with an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com, or if you're listening on cinematicdoctrine.com, leave a comment below. Also, if you're on Letterboxd, I have a list compiling every movie reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so feel free to check that out. Also, also, I'll be making a guest appearance on not one, but two different podcasts. One of them is War Machine vs. Warhorse, a movie podcast where we talked about Under the Silver Lake, The Nice Guys, and The Black Dahlia and dissected similar themes across each of them, primarily the use or misuse of women in each film. There's also an interesting section that's similar to the one discussed here as we dig into selfish ownership of the things we like. It was a lot of fun to record and you should go give Michael's podcast a listen before it comes out. I've had a lot of fun listening to it, and I'm sure you will too. The other podcast is The Reform Gamers, the show all about theology, video games, and anything else. In our segment, we'll be talking about the first three Resident Evil films, which well, let's just say they're going to make for an interesting episode. And before I lose you, check out Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page for daily news, shenanigans, and the semi-daily movie deathmatch, where I pit two films together and you decide who wins. Next time, I'll be reviewing John Watts' Spider-Man Far From Home. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk.
So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.